So we're we're seeing a very deep bench of gener generative AI and general generally AI and uh, machine learning startups in the fields of biotech, fintech, cyber, um, and across the board. Like AI is going to touch pretty much every industry and radically change it. If you're a business that's not capitalizing on adding efficiencies to your business processes and products with AI, you're going to be left in the dust. This is the Definitely Uncertain podcast brought to you by Goldrock Capital. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions, and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer specific investment advice. This is the Definitely Uncertain podcast, and my name is Darren Rockman, and I am a partner at Gold Rock Capital, the multifamily office uh, for more than 20 years, servicing high net worth families in Israel and around the world. And to, today with me on the podcast, Yaron Samid. Hi, Yaron. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me, Darren. And now I understand why you have that amazing radio voice. <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> for this podcast, exactly. <laughs> I asked my mother for one thing, a radio voice. Um, so, uh, Yaron is the managing partner of Tech Aviv Founder Partners Fund, and he is also runs the Tech, Tech Aviv Founders Club. We'll hear a little bit about that uh, soon. Prior to uh, creating Tech Aviv, which is a uh, you know important part of the uh, tech ecosystem here in Israel, um, he was the founder of Billguard, which was acquired by Prosper, um, which was helping people get control of their finances. And prior to that, he founded Pendo Networks. Um, which was acquired by Microsoft. And Yaron uh, lives in Israel, and uh, we sometimes have coffee. And that's uh, always a very, very interesting and insightful. So, so Yaron, let, let's start. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the Tech Aviv story. So, um, first of all, thank you for having me. I, um, I have been on the other side of the table. I've been an entrepreneur for the better half of uh, the past two decades. And uh, been a part of building three companies as a founding CEO, two more as a founding board director. In parallel to all that, summer of 2007, I started organizing um, what became the Tech Aviv Founders Club, which was uh, a YPO style organization for Israeli tech founders, private, today global network. Um, we started with a small cohort meeting in a coffee shop, today uh, 3,000 members worldwide major branches in uh, Tel Aviv, New York, Boston, and Silicon Valley. That's a big um, coffee shop. It's a giver now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't find a we didn't find a big enough coffee shop to keep hosting us. So we're now, you know, um major universities. So in the Valley, Stanford, in New York, NYU, uh MIT at Boston, in Israel, the uh the IDC, the Reichman University. Um we have we would have these local monthly gatherings. This is prior to the pandemic. We're now only starting up. We've been offline uh, for the better half of two and a half years. Right. And uh, but this turned into this amazing global support network uh, where we not only meet offline, but we have software so that any member can find a fellow member and ask for help, introductions, advice. And the, ho the whole idea, the whole spirit of it is um, to harness our collective knowledge and networks to help each other succeed. Um, and it's really turned into the the great joy and the labor of love of my life. It started out as a nonprofit. It still is the Founder Club, a nonprofit. 
But two and a half years ago when the pandemic started, um, that gave rise to the idea that we could take the value out of the network to the next level by starting a founder's fund. What we noticed in looking backwards was that since uh, the summer of 2007, 128 unicorns and public companies were built by our membership. So we have a really high density of scale-up experience. And what we wanted to do is help more Israeli founders build these kind of big, enduring IPO caliber companies versus the historic, you know, uh, startup nation, quick flip, build a company, sell it to some big multinational. It's a new era in Israeli tech where we're building our own multinationals. And we wanted to help that along by harnessing the knowledge of some of the best company builders in the world. We are all LPs in our fund and uh, we're all very um, proactive and feel privileged to help fellow Israeli founders build big companies that matter. And that's the Tech Aviv Founder Partners Fund that you mentioned. Wow, amazing. So r really quite a jo journey and uh, it's uh, you know, a credit to you that you uh, you built this. Um, really hats off. Um, so you, you, you probably have a as good a view of the Israeli venture uh, industry as anybody. Um, and really, you know, both as a founder and, you know, sort of bottom up and top down, I suppose, and as, as an investor. Um, what would you say is the current state of the venture market in Israel, March 2023? So first of all, we, we very much mirror the macro global um, roller coaster ride that is the private equity um, uh, industry for tech. And so we have taken the same uh, sort of uh, dip in terms of venture dollars uh, into the country. First of all, 90% of our venture capital comes from international um, financial institutions, family offices, angels, et cetera. And we had a peak year in uh, 2021, um, $26 billion poured into Israeli tech companies. In 2022, that dipped down to 15 billion. And in 23, we expect it to be even a little bit less. Um, that is the, uh, that's the current state, um, as I said, mirroring what's happening globally because the exact same uh, dynamic of decrease in uh, venture spending has occurred. That said, we are still producing incredible companies and punching way over our weight for a country the size of New Jersey. Um, still, we are number one in VC um, dollars per capita, number one in unicorns per capita, um, number one in startups per capita, and that hasn't changed. Um, we're uh, we're currently, as we speak, uh, have 97 Israeli-founded unicorns roaming the planet. And um, most people are not aware of that because a typical Israeli company will have its headquarters in the U.S. and look like an American company, which it is. It's a Delaware Inc., uh, for example, but R&D and the vast majority of the IP being built out of Israel by Israeli founders and Israeli teams. So we look at Israeli founders because we're an Israeli founder club. And when you put all those together, it's 97 current unicorns. So still very excited about the innovation and technology being built by Israelis. Right. You, you mentioned dollars are flowing uh, into Israel and into the startup uh, universe. What about company formation? Have we seen a slowdown in the number of new startups uh, that are getting founded? Yes, indeed. Um, what happens is as the uh, the water, the, the, the VC dollar faucets are being turned off at the later stages, 
it eventually trickles down uh, to earlier stages. And so there's, let's put it this way, a slower cadence of investment by VCs who have woken up sober from uh, the party years and realized that, that they- That was had, quite some hangover, yeah. That was a good party. Uh, but the hangover is rough for a lot of VCs that were spraying and praying just to get into deals, not doing any due diligence, completely throwing kind of discipline out the window uh, when it pertained to valuations. And all of a sudden, we've come back to a very healthy place, by the way. It's not like we've corrected to the negative. We've corrected to the normal, where it should be. And a seed round is now a proper seed round. And an A round is a proper A round. And that's a good thing. And this is pruning a bush that went wild. Um, and so as a result, you just see a lot fewer startups getting funded. Uh, therefore, a lot fewer startups being built. Still, Israel has 6,000 um, venture-backed companies, startups. Um, Thirteen to 1,500 of them will fail. And they will recycle those founders and those teams back into other startups that are more healthy. And that's okay. Um, it is actually a remarkably good time to be investing in early stage Israeli tech companies, specifically because we've come back to the fundamentals and the right companies are the ones raising. Um, and the Me Too lookalikes are, are not able to get money. And so your ability to... Uh, to find the right companies, take your time to evaluate them, do proper due diligence, get to know the founders um, is back to where it should be. So if you look historically, these kind of down markets, the best vintages in VC, 2003, 2008, 2009, they all happened in down markets. And we're, we're very uh, excited about the historic opportunity in front of us for the decade ahead. Right. For those of you listening to this and not watching it, uh, Yohan just actually rubbed his hands together, literally. So uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, and I um, was licking my lips, chomping at the bit. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay. Uh, I, I don't want to touch on the politics, but there is an economic aspect um, that can't be ignored. Uh, there's been a fair amount of discussion over the last six weeks or so about uh, capital flows um, not you know, drying up on the way from overseas into Israel. And when you're talking about 90% of venture money having its source outside of Israel, how much of a concern is that uh, to you? Um, it is a significant concern because we have a lot of uncertainty currently. Um, we're in the process where legislation has been put forward. If you want me to touch on the high level of what's happening, uh, or have you already, or you have you covered this in a previous episode? No, go ahead. You want me to give you the high level? Um, so I am concerned, absolutely, currently, because of the the level of uncertainty of what will happen uh, to the Israeli economy, um, given the current political situation um, with the, ju the judicial reform. Um, but I am also optimistic that we have uh, a prime minister that is very in tune with uh, the economy, helped build the economy, and will not have us drive off of the cliff, Thelma and Louise style. We are going to hopefully um, at the last moment here, be able to make the adjustments necessary so that we don't um, destroy the economy, which there is a potential here for a lot of money to be pulled out of Israel if there is not judicial certainty. And it is happening already. There are some um, 
venture capital funds that have taken a pause and wait and see position. Um, there are venture capital funds who have told their portfolio to take their shekels and move it out of the country into dollars, the dollar being much stronger now than, than the shekel. Um, and so you're starting to see that, but the government is also paying attention and I'm I'm quite optimistic they won't let it get to a, a, a bad place. But currently there is some, there is uh, certainly a reason to be concerned. Um, I, I, I would say this, most Israeli companies are incorporating in the US anyway and have their um, revenue and IP in US inks anyway. So those kind of companies are not really being impacted as much. Um, and I think you'll see a growing trend of that anyway, yeah. where you'll have the parent company being a US Inc. and the R&D office being a subsidiary providing R&D services to the US Inc. Yeah. And that's a and, and, and we've seen you know, that, that the swings and roundabouts in that trend sometimes. Absolutely. Towards US incorporation, sometimes towards Israel incorporation. Um, so if we just go back to, you know, away from the specifics of Israel and, and then just look at, at the, uh, the valuation stories more generally, um, you know, clearly valuations have come down substantially um, from their peak at the end of 2021 through to today. Um, how have valuations in Israel been impacted uh, when you compare it to the US or the rest of the world? Have we seen a greater reduction in valuations here? Um, and are we through the end of that, or is there is that a still an ongoing process? So again, I think it's a a very close mirror of what's happening in the U.S. Um, historically, the Israeli startup would would be uh, getting a discount on its price per share to in a U.S. company just because it wasn't a Silicon Valley company. Mm -hmm. That has changed um, dramatically uh, over the years, and specifically in industry sectors like cyber. Um, AI and machine learning, which is the hottest sector right now, um, you are, it's a very positive brand signal if you're an Israeli company, uh, because everyone understands the deep technical domain um, expertise we have here. Um, and so, but the, the entire market has kind of gone down to a more healthier valuation um, uh, standing. And I, uh, and I'm seeing parallels with, uh, with Israeli companies. Again, there is still more pruning to be done because it takes a while for that correction that go all the way down to seed and pre-seed. And what happens is when you have an expensive seed, that company is in a tough bind to get that expensive A um, in order to get the healthy markup that they're looking for. And that uh, we are definitely seeing experienced entrepreneurs who know how to manage uh, their, you know, how to do round management, adjusting proactively when they come to pitch us, they're already being much more rational in the way they're setting their valuations. Again, healthy for everyone. Right. And, and what's the impact of that um, on their previous round investors? So, you know, they've sold uh, you know, their uh, their A round at, you know, I don't know, X, and now they're coming to you for their B round at X minus, you know, 20%, whatever it is, sure. 30%. Um, you know, how are those conversations happening internally within the company? And, and, are these founders being told by their investors, just go get money at whatever price you can? Or are they saying, protect us, um, you know, because we don't want to see the mark to market on our books go down? Right. So first of all, I, I, I see it from the perspective of a, a seed fund. So I'm the one writing the first check. And so um, we're impacted, obviously, by the, the follow-on uh, uh, rounds. 
the nice thing is that we have the privy of seeing the actual performance, all the dirty laundry. We know exactly what's going on with the company. And when you're fortunate to have um, really strong performing companies, you're now in this kind of a market in a position to preempt an external round that might be brutal from a valuation perspective, because that's the lever that an external VC will play. Hey guys, party's over. We got to, we got to bring down valuation. The internals can actually say there's an opportunity here and we can preempt around. And I'm seeing quite a bit of that. We're doing quite a bit of that where we will, um, we will provide a little bit of a markup to the previous round or a flat round in order to extend the runway. So they, our portfolio founders don't need to go out into this market currently where there still is a lot of this uncertainty and, and, and valuation fluctuations. Um, when we know it's a solid company, we're telling them, hold off, we'll do an internal round, we'll bridge you to the next round. Any company that has less than 12 months of runway, we're having that conversation. And we're saying, let's get runway. Cash is king in this kind of a market. And we don't want you know expensive cash, too expensive. Um, and so we're in a position to preempt. Um, the kind of rounds that are happening with external market validation, meaning external VC, they are happening certainly at flat rounds or slight markups. Right. And uh, it really depends on the company. We have some companies that are doing massive markups. They're in a hot space performing well. And we have some companies that are just getting the typical VC pushback of it's a down market. You got to let give us a good deal. Right. Um, so it really depends. But yes, a lot of flat uh, rounds and slightly marked up rounds are happening now in order to buy runway. Right. And, and those internal rounds you described where effectively you're in reinvesting, you and your the, the you know, other re, uh, investor partners are in reinvesting in the companies, you do always risk kicking the can down the road. And so you, know, you haven't actually solved the problem. In fact, maybe you've made a slightly larger problem because you've got a greater exposure to those companies. So how do you think about you know that risk? So... That's where being an operator uh, comes in very handy. You can look at a balance sheet and you can understand whether or not you've hit that magic moment where product market fit quantifiably has been reached. And now it's a function of how to service the pipeline of demand by hiring up, uh, loading up your coffers for marketing dollars and being able to capitalize on a market opportunity now that you've mitigated the risk of product market fit. When you're able to do that between a seed and the A, that is uh, a very attractive Series A. That's what most Series A VCs are. And even if it's at a small scale, if you've got an Excel spreadsheet where you put X dollars in one direction and X times a multiple comes out the other direction, it's now a financing exercise. Um, we take the product market fit risk as seed investors. And if we can see those kind of motions happening, um, we're in a perfect position in being, uh, being able to preempt and know that we have a flywheel in place already. And that's magical when you have that situation happen. It doesn't always happen, especially in a down market where everything slows down and buying decisions and buying dynamics and procurement cycles, et cetera, slow down. Um, but when it does, a company is off to the races. And it's a lot, by the way, cheaper for them to hire talent, buy, you know, acquire customers because the CPC and CPA values of gone down for buying advertising. Um, it's a great environment if you've if you've uh, identified product market fit. Okay. I, I want to touch on the acquisition of customers uh, for a second. Um, I, and this is not an Israeli thing. This is a global tech trend. Uh, we saw this through the, through the pandemic where 
companies were overspending on customer acquisition, um, perhaps fooling themselves as to the lifetime value of, of, of those yep. customers. Um, you know, are, you, are you seeing those companies now unable to raise additional funds? Um, you know, what, what is happening to that group of companies, which, you know, uh, what, what, do you, what do you call them, the Me Too's? Yeah, that's exactly what is happening. If you do not have um, foundational product market fit, meaning you can grow organically, not just by spending VC dollars and just riding on the fumes of VC capital to give literally just take the money from the bank account of the VC and putting it in the bank account of Facebook and Google. Like that's literally all you're doing. Um, you are not surviving in this market. And that is the healthy pruning that makes the entire market you know, more foundationally um, healthy. This is the exact kind of operating discipline that is a necessity for companies in this market to survive. And as an investor, when you see that, you're in a great position. If you've overfunded a company and they were just optimizing optics of growth by buying customers and not paying attention to LTV, those companies are in trouble. Those companies do not survive this kind of a market or they get acquired or, or sold uh, at cost. And like I said, if you didn't have that discipline as a VC, that's on you. Right. Okay. Um, you touched earlier on uh, AI um, as being an area within Israel where you know, we are and, you know, really way, way ahead of you know, almost any other country. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, that's, it's obviously been very topical, um, you know, as these products now start to, to hit consumers and start to impact also the world of search and you know, many, many other uh, jobs as well. Um, talk a little, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing uh, trends in that market. So first of all, you're right. We are uh, globally one of uh, the leading tech hubs for machine learning and AI. And that's because our 18 to 21 year olds, instead of partying in a college, uh, they were writing algorithms to figure out how to make drones fly autonomously through clouds with computer vision and machine learning to uh, to identify cyber threats and to counter those cyber threats. Um, generative AI, which is a very, very hot field now, thanks to um, technology stacks becoming much more mainstream, such as chat GPT, uh, have opened up an entire new category of innovation and, uh, and business opportunity. And Israeli uh, engineers are simply in a unique position to capitalize on it because of the domain expertise that they've been working on for decades, not just recently because it's a latest buzzword. And so we're, we're seeing a very deep bench of gener generative AI and general, generally AI and uh, machine learning startups in the fields of biotech, fintech, cyber, um, and across the board. Like AI is gonna touch pretty much every industry and radically change it. If you're a business that's not capitalizing on adding efficiencies to your business processes and products with AI, you're gonna be left in the dust. Um, and so, Israeli startups, especially the ones who have failed in building their cute little, you know, slight optimization product in a happy market are now going to the business critical enterprise solutions that need the engine of AI um, 
And there, I can just tell you, there are some very, very compelling companies being built in Israel and generally by Israeli startups all over the world that are going to us, be. You want to give us a couple of examples? Um, sure. You have uh, companies like Explorium, um, deep AI capabilities that apply to multiple industries. You have companies like Pecan, companies like Immune AI um, in the biotech and health tech space. Um, you have AI21, uh, one of the top labs in the world for AI at the level of ChatGPT in terms of uh, NLP and language um, and generative AI. Um, very compelling companies in the field of uh, finance, algo trading, et cetera, leveraging AI, um, some of the best in the world. So across the board, every industry sector, we've got companies that are already kind of leaders in the category. And what I'm referring to are the companies that I see that are seed and pre-seed um, because we understand the technical talent needed and the founding teams, some of them don't even have names yet, are, are gonna be some of tomorrow's big companies. And we are, we're very fortunate to be able to see them early. Fantastic. Um, let's just talk a little bit about um, the environment. And again, I, I'm, we're going to divorce ourselves from uh, some of the things that have been happening very, very recently. But is the Israeli government overall continuing to be supportive of the, uh, the tech ecosystem uh, in Israel, both in terms of taxation, in terms of uh, visas, in terms of you know, general, uh, you know, general funding. Yeah. So first of all, this is one of the topics that people don't talk about much. But the Israeli tech ecosystem was very much kickstarted by the government and the Yuzma program back in the high inflation days. Uh, they they pushed forward with non dilutive capital that they would match any investor coming in, um, and that really was one of the key uh, reasons that we even have such a prolific tech ecosystem. Um, and they continue to be very supportive and uh, it's very easy to start a company and even to fail, which by the way, in other, we take that for granted in other cultures, other countries, try to start a company in China and fail. You're done. It's hard for you to get a bank account or a credit card after that. Like in Israel, it's like, okay, notch on your belt. You tried, you got experience. You are now more fundable because you tried and failed. Right. And the government will, the government, the service providers, by the way, accounting firms, law firms, it's like cookie cutter to start a company in Israel. And so all the administrative stuff is uh, there. Um, like I said, there is uncertainty now about the current uh, judicial reform and what impact that will have on taxation um, and uh, the movement of money in and out of Israel. So there is some risk. Again, I'm, an, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic that um, eventually it will work out. Um, and so we believe the government will maintain very, very supportive. There's a very simple reason. It's not just because they're nice people. It's because the entire it's, GDP... It's the backbone of the, of the economy. It's their salary. Like literally the GDP of Israel rests squarely on the shoulders of Israeli founders. And, and the startups... And a few, and a few oranges and uh, lemons, right? Exactly. Have a few lemons. oranges left over as well. Yeah. And a diamond or two. Okay. Um, okay. If, if we sort of rounded out um, your view uh, of the next sort of five to 10 years of the uh, Israeli high tech system, obviously the last 
decade has been incredibly successful. Um, the, the ecosystem has matured. Uh, we've gone away from the, as you, you know, you, you sort of called it the sort of one and done, you know, quick in and quick out um, towards building you know, substantial Israeli companies, taking them public and then growing them in the public markets. What do you say, and you've seen the you know, maturity both of founders and of funders and the incredible uh, increase in the available of, of international capital available here. Um, what do you look forward to in the next five or 10 years and what may be some of the challenges that the, uh, that the tech uh, world here will, will face? Sure. I'll, I'll actually start with the challenges. So the next two years, like globally, is going to be um, a bit of a venture winter where you'll have tough valuation environments and less startups being built, less unicorns happening, less IPOs. Um, but when you come out of that cycle, and just like historically, every down cycle will have its up hype cycle. I think the next big up cycle is going to be tremendous for Israel. Um, and the reason for that is that the fundamentals of the technology being built now uh, and the businesses, kind of the focus on ARR, proper revenue businesses, is going to put um, Israeli companies in a position to build big, enduring IPO caliber companies. And uh, specifically in fields that rely on our kind of deep tech, AI, ML um, uh, background, across sectors, by the way. In in uh, biotech and health tech, we're going to have some of, you know, the next big category defining decacorns. Um, I'll give you I'll give you one quick example. In our portfolio, we have a company called Sintium. It is a pre-seed company that is solving the problem of AI in healthcare because today there is no big data in healthcare. All the data is siloed. There's all these privacy laws. It's a mess. They're building a layer on top of all of that that is able to, to fuse structured and unstructured data in a HIPAA compliant way so that any app developer can build on top of that their own innovative apps, do their own AI uh, model uh, training of, uh, of models, large language models, et cetera. And that unlocks so much innovation like Stripe did for FinTech, right? Think about what Stripe did in putting that layer or Plaid did for FinTech. You're now gonna have a company in Israel building that industry standard that the entire you know, uh, stack of technology on top of can be built and other unicorns can be built on top of. And if they're that layer and they succeed, that's a multi-decacorn company, okay? Leveraging some of the top AI and machine learning coming out of 8200. You're gonna have, I believe, several of these type of companies being built over the next decade. The challenge that company and others will have is hiring enough talent locally in Israel. We have a massive talent crunch Currently, we have 350,000 people working in the high-tech sector, and we are at, we're missing another half a million. We have so much demand for technical talent here because of the amount of startups being built. Like I said, 6,000 startups any given time, and uh, a bunch of multi multinationals, 362 current multinationals, opened up local offices and are paying double the salaries that a little startup can pay. That's a problem. When we have to start sourcing outside of Israel, then you're in a situation where a tiny little country of almost 9 million people has to look for talent elsewhere, and you, you're going to have a lot of friction to the growth of the tech ecosystem. Number number one risk, really, uh, existential risk for us being able to continue the growth rate. But overall, uh, I believe 
that as you have more of these companies that are category defining Palo Alto network type companies, um, you're going to be inspiring the next generation to build those kind of companies versus the quick exit and the headline. So your Jewish mother is proud of you, right? You are, you're going to be focusing on a far, far bigger uh, goal and that's going to float, you know, all boats. Uh, I'm very, very optimistic about that happening because of the deep technical talent that we have. And um, like I said, we are past the quick exit days. Yeah. The folks building companies now have already had an exit. We have a whole generation of seasoned entrepreneurs who have come back. A lot of them went to the US, Europe, et cetera, so wherever they were. They've come skills. back. They've come back. They're 45, they're 50. They're at the peak of their career of knowing how to build a company to scale of an IPO company. And they actually want to do that. They have the energy. There's something in the Israeli culture that it's like you're an entrepreneur for life. You love building. And now you're you're polished and seasoned having built a company in the US or the European market and you're building your next one, an exit is just not interesting for you. Um, you have the patience to go long and you're going to, you're going to see a lot more of that. If we had 128 unicorns come out of Tech Aviv in the last 15 years, I think in the next decade, we're going to double that. Not in the next two years. The warning single is two years is an opportunity for us as investors to get, Stock on clearance sale. We're going to go shopping. Get yourself some really good, inexpensive shares in these amazing technology companies. And then the long term, which is how you should be thinking as an investor anyway, is going to look very, very bright. Well, uh, on that incredibly optimistic note, uh, Yaron Samid, thank you really very, very much for uh, being on the podcast. And uh, uh, we look forward to hearing a, a lot of success coming out of Tech Aviv. My pleasure. Keep up the good work, Darren. Okay, and thanks. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, look out for more podcasts coming your way soon. Bye, everybody.